to 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're just going to look at the first six verses. And uh, I'm going to ask you to, um, once you find your place, we're going to actually read this together. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the Lord's Word. We're just going to begin with reading. So I want to ask you to go ahead and stand and we'll read uh, chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Um, I'll read it aloud. You can just read that um, as you're looking at the page and follow along. But I just want to give reverence to the Lord's word this morning. And I do believe it's important for us to hear it all together at one time, which is why I'm doing it this way. Here's Paul's word to the Corinthian church. And I believe it is the words of our Lord to North Beaver Baptist Church this morning. Here he says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think some to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in, ready, in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I want to ask you to pray with me as uh, we've read that. I want to ask God to bless his word. Lord, uh, we... we I want, I want you to take what you said here and help it to find a home in the hearts of the men and women that are here. Help them to understand it. Help them to apply it. And Lord, I just, I'm asking you to motivate me, motivate them, motivate each of us to take on the fight that I think you have in front of us and help us to do it, not for our glory, not to do something big for you, but to have a big God do big things through us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. In the, um, in the work and in the life of this church, there's a whole lot of things that are at stake. And it's going to be something I want to try to get, get y'all to get a hold of. It's going to take more than one message to do that. But I just want to say what I got on my mind right now, this one message. We got a whole lot more at stake than a few thousand dollars. We got a whole lot more at stake than a piece of property. We've got a whole lot more at stake than a pastor who controls things or doesn't control things or some cabal of people within a church who gets their way. It's got a whole lot more at stake than that. There's so much more on the table. We've got the eternal destiny of souls. This is the work that churches do, by the way. This is what they're supposed to do. We've got the eternal destiny of souls. Where are the folks who live in these hills around us and on these roads and back roads around us? Where are they going to spend eternity and what are we going to do about it? We've got spiritual safety at stake. Is, are we going to stand idly by while the devil tries to destroy the lives and the bodies of men, women, young people in our community, in our own church, connected to the families in our church? 
while he tries to blind their hearts to the beauty of Christ, are we going to say, yep, go ahead, do what you want to? Or are we going to actually do something about that? One of the things that um, has been on my mind lately is, and I'll just confess my sin to you, I, uh, I've always wanted to do something big for the Lord. And the Lord's been convicting me that he doesn't need me to do nothing big. He's already big enough. He needs to do what he's going to do, and then he might do something, and I get to see him do it. And that's, that's what I, I, are we going to go, we've got to stake God working. Are we going to actually be available for his kingdom work? Or are we going to be so distracted on the things that we care about individually, personally? And this is the kind of stakes that I think Paul has in mind as he's writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In fact, this is what he has in mind, I believe, as he's writing this whole letter to the Corinthian church. This second letter is actually written, if you go back and read the whole thing, I won't take the time this morning, I'll give you a summary. If you read the whole thing, largely it is a defense of his ministry. People have been accusing Paul, basically saying... You're not what we were looking for. You're something less than we were expecting. We were wanting something uh, bigger. We wanted something to meet our expectations. They were wanting somebody who would not confront their sin would be okay with their sin. They were wanting somebody that would be that would bring exciting things into their churches that would match the entertainment of the world. That's what they were looking for from Paul. And Paul was saying, "I, I got bigger fish to fry, folks. I can't. I can't help you with all that." And just as today, the, the, the world then is just like the world today in which there's more messages out there. And y'all know this, you hear the same stuff I hear, so y'all have to validate it for yourself. But there's more stuff out there about how you're supposed to pursue what makes you happy, what makes you feel good. You're supposed to figure out how whatever I deserve, that's what I need to fight for. And I'll tell you, I'll confess, this is the one of the things that I fight that I fight within myself because I feel like, I don't know about if y'all know this or not, I'm kind of a big deal and I think I deserve a lot. And I want to fight for what I want. And that's what this world around me tells me. Yes, Matthew, fight for you what you deserve. You deserve it. And that's what this world tells me. That's what a lot of people, even in, especially, if I may say, within the church world, really like the excitement. We want the, the, the WWE version of church where we just like boom and excitement and, and, and all this, this stuff kind of, you know, big spotlights and, and, and fireworks going off. And that's what we're looking for. And Paul's saying, if you go back to what he says in Corinthians, no, 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 this, this Christianity thing is about sincerity and simplicity. You're missing this whole thing, guys, if you're thinking it's all that. He said there's a fight ahead in this passage. He's saying there's a fight ahead for people who want to have an impact for the Lord. If we want to show the world a savior, if we want to protect families, we want to protect children from the evil and the, 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 the work of the devil. If we want to be used by God at North Beaver Baptist Church to to do his work, the kingdom work, if we want to do that, there's a fight that's ahead. And I want y'all to hear this, and I'm going I'm to continue on here, but I want to make sure you hear this point louder than anything. This is a fight that you're in, whether you know it or not. You may be sitting on the sidelines and letting the world go to pot as you as it goes, but it's happening. You may not like it, and you may say, I'm checking out of it. Fine. You may be AWOL, as they say, but you are in this fight. It is happening. So I'm encouraging you 
to suit up and get in on the fight. That's what I want you to do. That's my encouragement to you from this message today. First thing I want you to see in just Paul's example in the first few verses is the first thing I want you to see that this fight that we're getting into, we have to be careful not to mistake the kindness of God for weakness. I want you to see this. Here in verse 1, Paul says that he is he's beseeching them, he's begging them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Uh, Paul is, even though in these chapters that we're in, the middle of this section of 2 Corinthians, he's probably using some of his harshest language for the church. Even in his harshness, as harsh as he gets, as, as tough as he gets, he is still gentle and kind and loving and just merciful to them. And he's doing this, he's reflecting the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ. Now, he is calling them, if you look there, that he is calling them, he's beseeching them, he's begging them. Go to verse 2. He says, I'm begging you, he's beseeching you. He is, he's doing this and he's saying, I'm, he's, he's calling them to repent, to turn away from the way they've been doing things and get on board with this battle. That's what he's calling them to do. So he's being meek and he's being gentle, yet he is calling them to repent. This is the, this is the spirit of Jesus. I want you to understand this about my Savior. Jesus is kind and he is meek and he is mild. He is full of grace. He is full of love. But he is unrelenting in his call to call you, call me, call everyone to repent. He is never going to. This is what the Isaiah says. This is Isaiah chapter 42. And this is a, a messianic prophecy speaking about the Messiah, the, the, uh, the, the servant, the suffering servant that would come. So we believe, and I, I would interpret this as talking about Jesus. Jesus actually interpreted this in Luke. He actually says that what Luke, Isaiah was talking about, that was me. So we know this is Jesus. And here's what Isaiah writes in 42, Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 4. Listen to what he says. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Did you hear that? He's going to bring judgment to those who don't believe. He shall not, but how's he going to do it? He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he, not, he shall not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. If you're not hearing a conflict in there, you're probably not listening to me because I want you to understand he is loving and gentle and kind. And that is always who Jesus is. He is never not that. He is always that. He goes to those who are hurting. He extends himself to those who are in need. He goes to them and says, I love you. He loved us so much. He died on the cross for our sins. Yet in the same breath, he says, you're a sinner. You need a savior. Come to me, come to me, come to me. This is what Jesus is always doing. And sometimes we, in this culture that we live in, this world that we live in, we confuse this gentleness that both is in Jesus and ought to mark the church, by the way. Can, can I just say sometimes the gentleness does not mark church people. Church people can be some of those hateful people in the world. And y'all know this. And if you don't know this, maybe y'all are the hateful people. But just let me just tell you, some church people are going to be the most hateful people in the world. That does not reflect Jesus. Jesus was gentle. But this world, the reason that some church folks ain't gentle is because we confuse gentle with being cowardly. We confuse gentle with being 
weak. In fact, even the, the Corinthian church say in verse 1, they said, you know, in presence, verse 1, he says, and who in presence and base among you. He says, when I'm with you, I, I'm lowly, I'm, 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 I'm humble. But when being absent, I'm bold towards you. They were kind of accusing him of, hey, Paul, when you show up around here, you ain't a whole lot of nothing. You're only big talk when you're not here. That's what they were accusing him of. They were saying you're only bold when you're not here. They would even say so much in verse 2 that some of them says they think as if we walked according to the flesh. They were saying, listen, there's something wrong with you, Paul. You're so weak and so cowardly. Maybe God's not even in you. You don't even have the power of God on you. That's what they were saying about Paul. They expected him, and you'll see this in in following verses. I won't read them, but in verses 9, 10, and 11, they they expected him to, to be terrifying. They expected him to be powerful. They expected him to be eloquent. But let me just tell you, God doesn't work like that. God doesn't work by sending a booming voice from heaven. He sends a still, small voice. God doesn't work by giving us a banner in the sky that says, Matthew, go do this. Put your name here. He doesn't do that. He gave us a book that's been around since anybody in this room has ever been born. That was available to you. Probably most of you have one on your dresser in your office, somewhere in your house. You probably have a copy of it. If you don't, let me know. I'll get you one. These things are so abundant. These are everywhere. This is how he speaks. This is how he speaks. He doesn't, he doesn't speak through, I, unfortunately, I do not believe he speaks through loud, obnoxious leaders. Instead, what has he done? He's given us a gentle and loving Savior. Amen. That's what the way he works. And Paul is saying, it is only, Paul is only saying, I'm just only showing the grace and the love of God. And I want y'all to hear that I know that sounds permissive. Like, oh, you're okay. Do whatever you want to. That's not God's heart at all on this. He is being patient with you. He is some of y'all sinners that need to repent. That God's been talking to you. You need to stop. But God's being patient. He's giving you time. He's giving you more rope. He's giving you more time. This is the way he operates it's God is speaking. This is what we need to hear. That, that God is speaking to us through His Word, through the preachers, through the teachers that we have, through the men and women in our church. He's speaking through us, to us, and we need to hear what He's saying. And what we've got to be careful is, some of us are sitting around saying, wait, that doesn't sound like God. I want some strong political leader. Be careful what you ask for. You may get a strong political leader, and you may call him a tyrant when he gets in place. Some of us say, well, no, no, I want a strong leader. I want somebody who can, who can really get, a, get the reins of this thing and tell me how things are going. Well, you, be careful what you ask for. You may get that, and, and you will get a tyrant. You will get a dictator. And there's some that say, well, I don't necessarily want that, but I remember back in the day, there was a way it used to be that I really liked that. I appreciate that. There's some ways I like it used to be too, but we've got to be careful wanting that. And you know what we may get? We may get stagnation. Waiting around for that to happen. Instead, what we need to do is listen to the meek and the mild and the gentle and the loving and gracious voice of God. When we listen to his voice, we listen to what he's saying in the spirit that he's saying, you know what we're going to get? This is Paul's point. Victory comes. 
This is where victory comes. Not from this, this sort of uh, Mussolini figure stomping around and putting his hands up in the air and all this other stuff like Matthew's doing right now. Uh, so none of that kind of stuff. None of that's not what, that's not how God works. God works in these meek and mild ways. That's where the clear victory comes. And we have to take care not to miss God's love in the midst of our need. Our love to you where he sends friends, preachers, family, circumstances. He sends these things into our lives and he's calling us to through those things. And we have to be careful not to, to miss that. So listen as he's calling you through those things. Listen before it's too late, friends. Listen before it's too late. But also as a church, as we reflect Christ's love to other people, we have to be careful to be reflecting his love. It's grace-filled. It's kind. It's loving, but never backing down from the truth. Always holding that there is a Savior that died for your sins. That's what we must do. So in this fight that I'm asking you to strap in for, don't mistake God's kindness for weakness. Not at all. But also in this fight, don't assume that the rules, the normal rules of the world apply. They don't apply. Not at all. He says in verse 2, the last part, that these people meant this as a, an insult. It says there, I think, uh, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think to of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And he said, they mean, they're talking about me as if I'm in the flesh. They mean that as an insult, as if God's not with me. But Paul's saying, listen, to some extent, you're right. I am in the flesh. I'm weak. I'm unimpressive. I get hurt. I hurt people. I'm offended. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointing people. I'm ill-equipped to deal. I'm going to just confess to y'all as your pastor this morning that those things all apply to Matthew Tilly. In case you were looking for somebody who is just like the Superman from heaven. I just want you to know I ain't him. His name is Jesus, by the way. That's the one you're looking for. But, but Matthew, what I am is I'm another person. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just like y'all. I get upset. I get hurt. I, get, I hurt people. I do things I ought not do. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, I am in the flesh. But he goes on to say in verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, he says, listen, this is the world I live in. I'm, I, I, I'm man just like anybody else. But we do not war after the flesh. There is a battle that is not, that is above this fleshly, this fleshly plane. It is something else. These normal rules do not apply any longer. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the kind of thing that we're fighting against. And therefore, the stuff that we think works, and sometimes might actually work in the world, may not work in this, in this life, in this church world, this church work, this church fight that we have to, to be involved in. What may work on the farm, what may work on the shop floor, what may work in the classroom or the office, what may work on the ball field, some of those things that may work like programs or excite, excitement, hatefulness, let me speak about hate for just two seconds. This is something I just want to get, off, get, get out here for you. I, first of all, I, I'm not a real big fan of these. Sorry if you're one of these coaches like this, but I've had a couple boys go through sports programs. 
And I just don't understand what in the world you want to act like that you got to be so hateful to these boys when you're playing basketball or soccer or whatever you're doing. I say boys, girls too, for that matter. Why you got to be so hateful? But nonetheless, I'm not a coach, by the way. You look at me, kind of, I ain't much of an athlete, and I understand that. So maybe I've got something wrong, and maybe it does work. I don't know. I don't care for it myself, but that's fine. I, maybe it works. But I can tell you it doesn't work in the work of the Lord. It does not work. That's not how things work. It's not how we get things done. It's not how it works at all. That's not at all how it works. Excitement and programs and reforms and rules and regulations. We can put all the rules and regulations we want. And again, in some settings, like in a work setting or a, you know, on, a, on a factory floor or a shop floor, you might need some rules and regulations to keep people safe. You've got to do that sort of thing. But that's not necessarily how this battle is fought. Uh, denominations and traditions, as good as they are, and I appreciate them. I really do. That's not what's going to protect children. We're fighting against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. So therefore we need, as he says in verse four, we need weapons that are not carnal, not physical, not fleshly, but we need weapons that are mighty through God. We need weapons that are mighty through God. What kind of weapons? He doesn't specify the details of these weapons, but let me just give you a few of those from other parts of scripture. We have a weapon church. Christian folks, you and I have a weapon that this world can't fight against. And that weapon is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says it is the power of God to salvation. Do you have family? Do you have friends? Do you have neighbors who are dying and going to hell? Do you have people who are addicted to the things of this world, whether it's drugs or money or I don't care anything in between? Or you've got people who need to be transformed? There's only one way. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms them. That's what they need. Now, do they need other things? Absolutely. We all need health care. We all need help. I get all that. But if they don't have Jesus, if they don't have the gospel, they are doomed. They are literally damned. We need to make sure that we are using the weapon of the gospel. We have the weapon of the power, the word of God, the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We have this book. Again, you either have it in your lap right now, or if you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you that you can have access to. And I guarantee you about everybody in here has probably got four or five of them at the house. You can get the word of God. It is available. It is the thing that is going to go down to discern the intents of the heart. It is going to put asunder those things that, that ought to be, ought not be together. It is going to change. and It's going to transform people. We have the weapon of prayer, church. It, Jesus Christ has said that he will do abundantly above all that we can ask or think. He is able to do anything. If we ask him according to the will of God, he will do all kinds of, he's even said that we have the power to literally, he says, we have the power to move mountains. This is what he says. And either he's a liar and we just go ahead and go to the house or we're going to believe that he's got that kind of power. I believe he does. This is the kind of power that the church has and he can do anything. And all you have to do is to enter into his presence and say, Father, I'd like to ask you something. Just like I can pick up the phone and call my daddy. My daddy ain't got any money to give me. But if he had some, I guarantee he'd give it to me. I can say, Daddy, got $5, he'd give it to me. I can call my heavenly father and I can talk to him anytime and he can do anything. Amen. I have that kind of power. You have that kind of power available to you. 
Don't forget that we have the power of the church. Jesus says in Matthew 16 that the gates of hell cannot, will not prevail against his church. We can sit around here as we often do as Christians. We can moan and complain and just grouse about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And we're not necessarily wrong about that. But let me tell you, that is, according to Jesus, not going to stop his church. You know what his church is supposed to do? Be triumphant to go out and to show people there is a better way. There is hope. There is hope. It's not all over. We don't have to, we don't have to push this over to the Satan and say, well, devil, you won. That's how too many Christians are acting. Yep, devil's won it. I'm just going to sit here and wait till Jesus comes. Hang on a minute. We've actually got something as the church, the power of God invested in us. And church, as a church, we have to don't don't miss the power that comes from fellowship and unity that we have together. And you may say, well, I, I think that's just having a good time. Well, I understand. I hope it's a good time when we come together. But if we have the unity of Christ and we fellowship around the cross, if we actually have that as the center point, there is that is actually the power, most powerful thing in the universe. That is the most powerful thing that a church of people, of God's people, would actually be centered on Christ and say we love each other, but not because of our similarities, but because of the one thing that unifies us, because of Jesus Christ. That will change us, and it will change the world. The problem is, so I ain't seeing it. Bingo. There's a reason we're not seeing it. We're not actually having our fellowship and unity around the cross. We have our fellowship and unity around our, our, our similarities, about how similar we are, what our, so, our social economic structure, our, 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 how many, how many, what color of our skin, and how, how many, uh, what, what places we come from, or how, how long we've been involved in one denomination or another. That's how we, our, that's where we're centered around. We're not centered around the one thing that actually changes things, and that is that Jesus is our Savior, the cross is our mascot, if I can use that term, that the that, that gospel is our message. If we can do that, then that's going to change and transform the world. And those are the weapons. Those weapons, as he says, they are mighty through God to bring down the strongholds. The devil may think he has a foothold, and he may well have a foothold, but the minute that we start using God's weapons, church, his foothold goes away. His stronghold goes away. And we have real victory. But lastly, and I'm closing my last thought here. Stay with me, please, as I get down to my last thought. In this fight, we have to make sure that we don't let any of those enemies get by. I'm reminded of Elijah in uh, 1 Kings 18. There had been a drought for years that God had promised would be there. And Elijah, because of God's direction, set up this showdown between the prophets of Baal and the one true God. Do y'all remember this story at all? It had been dry as a bone. And Elijah essentially said to this people, he said, listen, if y'all can, we're going to put up, we're going to set up an altar, we're going to put a, put a cow on there. And if we can, if your God can bring down fire, Burn that cow up, he'll be the true God. If my God can do it, he'll be the true God. Anyway, he went through all this rigmarole. They couldn't get it done. Surprise, surprise, because Baal's not a real God. But God said, now, Elijah, I want you to pour a bunch of water on there. He did a whole thing. It was kind of an interesting story. And God just like whew, brought down fire. Just amazing. 
At the end of that, there's a, there's a thought there that, that I want get to you, get you to think about here. At the end of that, now proven, God is the one true God. Baal is not a God. And at the end of that, Elijah says, this is verse, chapter 18, verse 40, 1 Kings. Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. I'm not proposing that we go murder people, by the way, just so you know. God had something else going on there. I'm not proposing that. But I think there's a spiritual illustration here that we need to take from this. First of all, I'm seeing one man did this, Elijah. I don't see a big, this wasn't an army against army. This was Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. And God used him to do something special there. And he took the life of those, those prophets of Baal. He did that all by himself. I imagine it was probably hard work, probably grueling work, probably gross work, taxing work. Could you imagine? I mean, just the sheer physical effort to have to go and kill. There, was, there were, I can't remember the number now. It's off the top of my head. Somebody might remember it. But it was hundreds or thousands of, of prophets. Of it, was, it was a lot of people. We're not talking about two or three people here. We're talking about hundreds of people. That he was doing this with. So there's a physical, I mean, I can imagine he's probably sweating. He's probably covered in blood. The point of this is I want you to see that this was necessary work for him to do. Because had he let these guys go, what they'd been doing? They'd be right back worshiping Baal the next day. Leading worship service for Baal. All of that's to say that the victory that we need to earn against, again, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Remember I told you, I ain't trying to tell y'all to kill people. If y'all take that from this message, you didn't hear from me. That's another voice talking to you. I'm trying to tell you, this is a spiritual battle. And there is a devil that's real. And yes, we can use these weapons to pull down those strongholds. But this is not going to be a one and done. This is going to be a constant battle. We're going to have to make sure that we go after this. And we have to start by verse 5, casting down imaginations. We've got to get those fortifications destroyed. Those arguments, those reasons that prop up in our own minds that go up against and say, God, I don't need God. I can do this myself. We have to go after that. Otherwise, what's going to happen is the devil's minions are going to get entrenched in us. He says on in verse five, he says, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have to take everything that goes across our minds and make sure it is subject to the King Jesus because I can tell you, there was one of, the, one of the reformers talked about how our hearts are a factory that does nothing but make idols, makes new idols all the time, new things to worship all the time. And you know what we've got to do is every one of those things we have to take a hold of and say, you, you joker, you sorry, good for nothing. You have to worship the one true God. We have to take those things captive. In verse six, he says, we have to be ready to revenge all disobedience. We have to, as Paul writes in another place, Romans 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The stakes are pretty high. And if the stakes are as high as I, say, I think they are, that lives are in danger, families are in danger, souls are in danger, if that's truly the, the damage here that could be done, it's time for some extreme measures. It's time for us to not give any room to the devil, not give any place to the devil. 
That the minute we see, and, and by the way, you're going to see, if, you, if you're paying any attention, you're going to see some sin in you every day, probably every hour of every day. You're going to see it in you. But the minute that you see that sin in you, you're not going to give any room to it. You're going to personally deal with that. As a church, we're going to corporately not allow a sinful spirit to abide. We're going to love enough to confront. We're going to care enough to accept correction when it comes to us. Otherwise, what we're allowing to happen is our enemies are going to destroy us unchecked. Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. I don't. I can tell you that right now. Y'all want to make me mad? Tell me I'm wrong about anything. Smallest thing, biggest thing. Just tell me I'm wrong. I just know that about myself. I hate being told I'm wrong. Now, I'll tell myself all day I'm wrong, but I don't want to hear it from you. You know what I'm saying? So I know how that feels, and I know that nobody wants to be told to submit. But that's the call to you. That's the call to this church. God's patient. He's lovingly calling us. He's urging us to pick up the spiritual weapons of the gospel, of the scripture, prayer, the church, and unity. He's calling us to get in the fight, and he's calling us to get into it now. Stakes are too high. The people affected are too valuable. The damage inflicted is too great. Will you get in on the fight? I want to ask you to stand. Asking you now to respond, to yield to the call that the Savior has given. I'm going to do this. I'm going to just pray and ask the Lord to bless what's been preached. And if you're not saved this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, your soul's at stake. You need to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you come and tell the Lord you're ready to do that? I'll be glad to talk to you if you don't understand what I've just said. I'll be glad to show you from the scripture. If you are saved, the eternal destiny of men and women, the future of our children is at stake. Why don't you come and seek the Lord's face about what you need to do to get in the fight? Father, please move among your people. Help them to see the need. Help me to be bold messenger of the truth a model of the love of Jesus expositor of your word help these people to not hear me and not to follow me but to hear you and to follow after Jesus I pray that you will move in their, in their hearts this morning that they'll respond as they should pray this in Jesus name